found on page four of our bulletin. As we continue going through the book of Romans, uh, this is Romans 6, 5 through 11. Uh, we have been going through Romans 5 through 8, not the entire book of Romans, but now we are in Romans 6, 5 through 11. This is Paul speaking to the church at Rome. For if we have been united with him, meaning with Christ, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. I don't know if any of you have watched this TV program before or not. It's called Stranger Things. It's sort of all the rage out there. If if you have watched the show, Stranger Things, go ahead and raise your hand. So I see if my analogy is going to have any any connection with people or not. It's a fascinating show. I think it takes place in the maybe the early 80s in Hawkins, Indiana, a nondescript town in which there is a government lab conducting paranormal research. And they come upon a land or an alternative dimension that is, sits right alongside our world. And it is called the Upside Down. This world is very similar to our world and yet very different. Uh, it, it looks like our world but only partially because this world is shrouded in darkness. There is a palpable evil that exists an evil mind that controls it. Um, and there are these sort of uh, spores or it's, it's, uh, there's a biological toxicity to it. And this world has started to break into our world through these different portals. And so the story is of these people who are being drawn into the upside down and the world of the upside down which is trying to infiltrate into the real world. It's very interesting, the story, because the influence of the Upside Down is all around the town of Hawkins, Indiana. And yet people cannot see it. They, for some reason, their eyes are blinded to it, but not its influence as it weaves its presence and darkness over the town of Hawkins, Indiana. Now I bring up uh, the, the show Stranger Things, because the reality is truth is stranger than fiction. In the fictional world of Hawkins, Indiana, there are two realms. The realm of the normal world and the realm of the dark world, the upside down. And this passage, and in the book of Romans, Paul is telling us that there are two worlds. Two realms, if you will, that exist side by side with one another. One called the world of sin and death. And the other called the world of God and righteousness. And much like the townspeople of Hawkins, Indiana, many of them are 
immune to seeing the world of sin and death, which is actually the world that is around us, all around us, indeed that we have lived in, that we are affected in. But what Paul is communicating is through the gospel, a new world has broken in. A new realm has entered into the realm of sin and death called planet Earth, this world of God. And indeed, there has been a rescue that has taken place. In Jesus Christ, we have been freed from the dominion of sin and death and brought into the world, into the realm of God. Each realm has its own rules. And so we receive in this passage actually the first real exhortation in the book of Romans. It's quite fascinating, isn't it? We're in chapter 6, verse 11 of the book of Romans where we receive the first exhortation of how to apply what Paul is talking about. It is so important what Paul is communicating us to understand what is going on and to understand what Christ has done. Because if we don't see it, if we don't realize what Christ has done, we will not respond accordingly. And so verse 11 tells us, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Essentially, Paul is saying that you are called now, you who are a Christian, to live out a resurrection life in a fallen world. So we need to unpack. I've thrown a lot of big ideas out. We need to understand what I'm talking about if we are to obey this exhortation. Number one, we have to understand what it means to be dead to the old world of sin and death. For that is what Paul says we, if you are a Christian, are. Number two, we have to understand what it means that we are alive to a new world. A world of God and righteousness. That this is the realm to which we belong. And finally, we need to grasp the importance of what it means to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. How do we do that? What are the implications for our life and how we live today? So let us begin. Let us take point one, that we are dead to the old world of sin and death. Paul, throughout the book of Romans, has been preaching that there is a justification, a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not on the result of one's efforts. That indeed no one can come to be justified before God by their actions, but rather by the actions of another, by Jesus Christ. And so we, he's he is counseling that we must take our stand by faith in Christ and not on ourselves. Well, he has brought up the point that his detractors are making. Well, why not continue to sin more so that grace will abound? If you're saying that grace trumps all, does it really matter how we live? Uh, two weeks ago, Paul, I, I preached on how Paul answered that argument. He said, by no means, for how can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? That we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we might walk in the newness of life. Paul is saying that Christianity is not simply behavioral management. It's not simply turning over a new leaf. Indeed, a transformation has occurred in the Christian's life. They are no longer the same. 
Jesus is not reforming us, but resurrecting us. And so Paul continues in Romans 6, 5 with this thought, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He makes an if-then statement. If we have been united with him in a death like his. Now we make a common mistake often, certainly the world does when thinking of Christianity, and we substitute this statement that if our sins have been united with him in a death like his. In other words, we sing often about this, right? That Jesus has taken my sins upon the cross. He has thrown my sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He has given me a clean slate. He has taken my sins away and so I am pure. But it doesn't say that, does it? It rather says that not simply our sins, but we have been united with him in a death like his. See, there's something much greater wrong with me than simply my sins. You could take away my conduct. You could take away my record, my ledger of wrongdoing. But in the end, the problem would not be taken care of because the problem is my heart. The problem of humanity is our heart. It has become twisted. That from the first humans, Adam and Eve, each of us has replaced God as the center of our lives. Jesus summed up what it means to be human, what we were, how we were designed to live in this greatest commandment. That we were made to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourself. All of us have replaced God and put ourselves on the throne. And simply pulling our sins, our record, off of us and placing it on the cross is not enough. A more radical response was needed. The world's response to the problems of humanity is simply reform. Right? No child left behind. The problem with humanity is education. If we educate people, if everyone gets the opportunities, the best opportunities and the best social environment, all will be right with the world. And the cross says that is untrue and ridiculous and blasphemous. No, reform is not what is needed. Resurrection is what is needed. And so what Paul is saying is that if we have been united with him, meaning if we have actually gone to the cross in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In other words, Jesus' work on the cross was not simply to make a better you and me, but to make a new you and me. To change us from the inside out. Notice the words. We shall certainly be united in a resurrection like his. If you are a Christian, all of us have undergone a death like his already and a resurrection like his already. You may say, I, I don't know what that means. I haven't experienced that. Well, give it time. It's the truth. 
Something has happened to you. Paul continues. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. My old self. So are you saying that I hung on the cross? I don't recall myself ever having physically experienced death on the cross. No, he's saying my old self, meaning my old identity of who I was. My old identity in the line of Adam and Eve. My old identity as one with a heart that was twisted on itself has been crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. What does this body of sin mean? Does he refer to my body itself? No, my body was not hung on the cross. When he's talking about this body of sin, he's talking about the rule of sin. He's talking about the reign of sin. He's talking about the upside down. That this body of sin might be brought to nothing. That I would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, all of us, whether we recognized it or realized it or not, were enslaved to the rule and the reign of sin. In 1 John 5, 19, the writer says that we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. That at one time, we also lay under the power of the evil one. We were in slavery to the rule and reign of sin. To be a slave means you have to do what that master tells you to do. He tells you to do this and you do that. And you cannot resist him. See, we take our Christianity and we, our sin and we think that our problem simply lies in these four square feet right here that the problem is me. And to be sure, the problem is in me. But the problem is much greater than me. The problem is cosmic in its nature. It's everywhere we go. It's when you go to work. It's when you come home. It is a world that lies under the power of the evil one. A world in which you and I were once enslaved. Maybe you are still enslaved if you are not a Christian. It's very interesting, by the way, that Christ did not kill sin. He killed us. Now you may ask the question, why didn't he kill sin? And to be sure, he will kill sin, won't he? The Bible tells us that the last enemy to be destroyed is death at the final coming of Christ. And the reason that he did not kill sin, but rather killed us or freed us from the power of sin and death is because he wants us to experience the triumph over the realm and rule of sin and death before he kills sin and death. Much like Christ demonstrated in his life the reality and truth of the reign of God, 
He wants us to become little Christs, if you will. Manifestations of the truth and power of God working in the fallen world. We are his witnesses. And so as verse 7 says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Notice it does not say, for one who has died has been set free from sinning, does it? That would simply be preposterous. We still do sin. And the Bible is very clear that we do that. But what we have been set free from is the reign of sin, the realm of sin, the stranglehold of sin. That the life of the Christian should take a different vector, if you will, from the life of a normal person. It should be characterized by an increasing righteousness and holiness. A life marked by different characteristics because it now lives in a different realm. See, my identity is my destiny. I am in Christ and therefore my identity is heaven. I hope you're beginning to understand what I'm talking about. Two realms, two worlds. We have been set free from one, moved into the realm of another. Now, why is this important? Because some of us, we believe that our Christianity is simply trying harder. Our Christianity is turning over a new leaf. It's very interesting. I was doing some biological research, as I normally do. I finally figured out why it is that such a high percentage of doctors come to our church. It's because of my biological analogies. And one of these is about the question, why humans die? And many different scientists and doctors have looked at this, but really when it boils down to it, it boils down to one key word, and this word is called telomeres. From the word telos, which means end, and meros, which means part. Telomeres are what are at the end of our strands of DNA. And so if you think of a DNA strand as a shoelace, at the end of the DNA strand is a telomere. And what these telomeres do is they protect the end of the chromosome from fraying or from fusing with neighboring chromosomes. And so as cells die, as DNA becomes replicated, the entire strand will replicate except for the telomere. The telomere is like the little diglet, if you will, at the end. It does not, not get replicated. It gets shortened, if you will, with every rebirth, death and rebirth of the chromosome. Now, are there other factors to help try to keep it continuing, but it grows shorter and shorter and shorter until finally it cannot protect the DNA strand anymore. And much like the shoelace phrase, our cells wear out and die. It's in us from the beginning of life to our end, 
we are dying. We are shortening, if you will. Our life is becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. Now we can go ahead and jog all we want. We can go ahead and change our diet all we want. And I'm not saying those things are bad. In fact, you should be doing them. Your body is a temple of God. And we are to love God with our body. But the point being, you can jog all you want. You're still going to die. And you can reform your life all you want and turn over a new leaf and decide to start doing the right things and stop doing the bad things. But if you live in the realm of sin and death, if your identity is in there, your destiny is certain. The gospel is more than good advice. The gospel is good news. That you have been transferred from the realm of sin and death into the realm of God and righteousness. That is the foundation that you must stand on. Anything else is sinking sand. You have died that you may live. Do you believe it? Do you know it? Do you put your weight on it? Because it's the truth. I move on to my second point. We have died so that we might live. What if we were, our old self was crucified with Christ and we stayed in that tomb? What a sad story. Kind of like a modern novel, right? Just read Hemingway. It's the same thing. But rather, verse 8 tells us, now if we have died with Christ, clearly no one has read Hemingway here, by the way. Go out and get some Hemingway if you want a sad ending. Now we, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Now think a little bit about that. Christ came into the world, did he not? He came into the world of sin and death. He was born of a woman, born into a poor family, born in flesh. He took on telomeres, if you will. And yet Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, a holy life, but he placed himself under the realm of sin and death, for this is the world that he had to combat. But unlike Adam, who was born in the garden in perfection, in sinless perfection, and chose the way and the path of sin, Jesus Christ did not. So even though he lived in this world of death and its dominion under the law, Christ lived a life of righteousness. It was his voluntary submission to death and dominion that led him to the cross. It was there that the sin of our very selves was imputed to him and Christ died a very real death. Jesus came under the prince of this world to be tempted by him in every way that we were and yet was without sin. See, Jesus had to come and live as our representative, as a man like you and me. And to die on the cross and to go into the tomb. 
But because no sin or deceit was in him, death could not keep his hold, its hold on him. The realm of sin and death could not contain Jesus Christ in the grave. And so three days later, he was raised up. Death no longer has dominion over him because he no longer must live in the realm of sin and death. Remember the wonder of Jesus Christ coming forth and Mary and the women coming to him first and the rest of him and having seen the the bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and yet the beauty of him. He was resurrected, not simply resuscitated. He had transferred, if you will, from one realm to another. The death he died, verse 10 says, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives to God. Now what does it mean that Jesus Christ died to sin? No sin was found in his mouth. Christ was never acquainted with sin the way that we are. What it means is that the death he died, he died to the realm of sin, to the world of sin, to the power of sin, that he might live a new life, a life to God, under a new world, a new reign, a new master indeed, in which he takes the throne as king. He lives to God. He is the first fruits, if you will, of one who is trans, the first human to move from the realm of sin and death to the realm of God. And what does verse 11 finish with? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It does not say, so you will consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You must consider. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We, in the likeness of Christ, have gone down to the tomb and like Christ, have been translated from one realm to the other. Whatever our feelings or experience of this is or not, it is the truth. It is the reality. You belong to a different master. You live in a different realm. And so we must also consider ourselves dead to this realm of sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word consider is the key. Isn't it interesting that this is the first exhortation in the book of Romans after six chapters of doctrine? And why is it the first exhortation? Because the world of the upside down is the world we live in, though it is no longer the world that we are of. And the whispers of Satan and the world of sin and death continue to speak It's counterfeit message that you still belong to us. You still have to obey what we tell you to do. You live in this realm and so you must live by its rules. But Paul is saying that's not true. On that cross you died and in that tomb you rose again. 
And so just like Jesus, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now let me ask you the question, what would your life look like if you began to do that? This is not simply the power of positive thinking. This is not pie in the sky, right? This is a great, who was it, uh, Norman, remember Norman Vincent Peale? I forget who said, I find Peel appalling and Paul appealing. The world's message is simply think better. Be more positive. That'll get you about a half hour maybe. Because if we allow ourselves to be ruled by the reign of the, the realm of sin and death, which we don't belong to, we will submit to it. It was Helen Keller that said the most saddest thing in the world is having sight but no vision. And Paul is saying, get eyes to see the truth that you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so reason number one why we must consider this is because it is the truth. Galatians 2.20 put it this way, for I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, meaning I no longer live as that old man under the power, the realm of sin and death. But the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I choose to live in this new realm by these new rules, by this new master. What joy it would be to stand in the truth of who I am. I don't know if you remember that iconic picture in 1969, Apollo 11, when the astronaut came down and he took that flag and he planted it on the moon. Why did we do that? Because we wanted to communicate and commemorate the truth that man has been here. That the efforts of one nation has brought us to this point. You can never unplant the flag. You can never take away that memory because it is truth and it is fact. We must plant our flag in the truth. Right? I am baptized into Christ. I am dead to the power and to the realm of sin. When I do sin, it is a question of obedience and disobedience, not a question of nature, not a question of compulsion, so much of our lives and our sins and our compulsions are simply falling prey to the whispers of the roaring lion who seeks an enemy to devour. He no longer has his hold on us. Remember the story we heard it last Sunday in, uh, in uh, Sunday school about Augustine, the great theologian, who was quite a licentious man. There was one time when he was examining Christianity and he said, oh God, give me chastity, but not yet. But Christ came to him and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he died and went down to the grave and arose again in Christ. And sometime afterwards, one of his former affairs, one of his former lovers came to him and said, Augustine, uh, it's time for us to go have a fling. Let's, let's go and let's enjoy one another. 
And Augustine kept on walking. And the woman couldn't believe it. This was Augustine, remember? And so she shook the fold of his robe and said, Augustine, it's, it's me. And Augustine said to his former lover, oh, but you see, it's not me anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ. Have you planted your flag and who you are? It's the truth. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because if you are alive to God, if you are alive to the realm and the reign of God, you are alive to his promises. All of the promises in Jesus Christ, in God, are yes in Jesus Christ, say the scriptures. The promise of strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The strength to avoid, to protect against temptation. The strength to live in a different way. Those besetting sins, those problems. Habitual anger and sin and lack of self-control, of anxiety, of doubt, of worry. We live in the world of the upside down. And we must be honest, this is a battle and a fight to the end. But we are not the same And so, in considering ourselves alive to God, we become alive to his promises. We are alive to his power. And we are alive to his joy. There's such a difference between the realm of the upside down and the realm of the world, right? In that TV show, you know it and you see it. It's a world of darkness and hate and rage and anger and death and pain. Which world do you live in? Though we are wasting away outwardly, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is achieving for us a joy that far exceeds and outweighs them all. As we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. The rising sun of the bright morning star illumines our hearts. It gives us vision to look into the darkest places and seeing them what they are, to see hope in the midst of them. He killed us over sin and rebirthed us that we would be little Christ's that we would live the resurrection life in the fallen world. Have you given yourself to Jesus Christ? There's a throne on our heart, in our heart, and there's a cross. And when we place him on the throne of our heart, when we are alive to God, and we place ourselves on the cross, positionally it's already been done, But volitionally when we do this, in losing ourselves, we find ourselves. And in giving ourselves away, we receive ourselves. We're called to live the resurrection life. So plant your flag. 
Rejoice in your rebirth. Acknowledge your death. Yes, the world may still be the same, and until Christ comes, it will not change. But I am no longer the same. I am in Him, and He is in me. And that is the one thing that will make all the difference. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we live in a new realm, your realm. We are alive to you that we might live to you because we live in your Son. Father, help us to see the reality and the truth when the whispers come claiming us for their own. We can say to them, I no longer belong to you. That is no longer my world. Let us consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God through and in Christ Jesus who is our very life. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.